0: It is a privilege to be with you this uh, day. Uh, this morning we're going to look in the Gospel of Matthew, found in the Pew Bible on page 15 and 24, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, found on page 15 24. The word of our great God. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who did the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious and glorious God, we praise you that you are a God who has spoken in your word. And we pray that we might hear the voice of our good shepherd, that we might follow him. We pray that you would use your word, that we might know our Savior and that we might serve him faithfully. This we pray in our risen and exalted Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. At a major intersection, actually a traffic circle, in the city of Port of Prince in Haiti, stands a very large monument. With the years inscribed in this monument, 1804, to 2004. And around this very large pyramid-shaped structure of this monument were some very unusual things, something that looked like the sun and something else that looked more like uh, the moon and stars and, and wind that was flowing. And We went and with our youth team that would go to Haiti each summer in our first year there We saw this intersection several times. So I asked our translator, what's what's the significance of this monument and of these dates? And he said that Haiti was dedicated to voodooism and to Satan in the year 1804 for 200 years. Then at around the year 2004, there was a push, a move to rededicate it to this evil purpose, but the Christian people who had been small in number gathered together and they prayed and God averted the renewal of the dedication of this country uh, to evil. And then our translator said that since that time, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is making significant progress in the nation of Haiti. Our Lord Jesus is building his church. In our passage here in Matthew chapter 16, we learn something of the present ministry of our Savior, who is now risen. He's exalted at the right hand of God in heaven. But what is he doing there in heaven? Well, here we're given a glimpse, a picture, a portrait of what our Savior Jesus is doing there. We learn, first of all, in this passage that he is advancing his church. He says, I will build my church. And then we learn as well here that he builds his church upon the clear confession of his people. And then thirdly in this passage, we see that he builds his church through the efforts and work of his people. Here, Jesus and his disciples are on what would be somewhat of a retreat. Uh, elsewhere in the scriptures, we read that Jesus called his disciples that they might be with him. And here they are, away from the crowds of Jerusalem. They've been involved in extensive ministry in Galilee. And now they've made their way north of the Sea of Galilee, north and northeast, uh, 25 miles to a more uh, remote area of Caesarea Philippi, far from the distraction of the crowds and the interruption and the accusation of the religious leaders who were coming against Jesus. They're near the headwaters of the Jordan River, deep in pagan territory. And this passage, Matthew chapter 16, comes to the very high point of the gospel of Matthew and of Jesus' interaction with his disciples. Here we learn, first of all, that Christ is building his church. This great theme is laid out for us in this 18th verse where Christ promises that he will build his church. And Matthew uses this word church here. The only place in the Gospels, is is when Matthew uses it here and in one other place. And this word church is linked to the Old Testament gathering of the people of God. Jesus is gathering a community of people to himself. He is constituting the new people of God around his person and through his work. The old wineskin of Israel is being laid aside to make room for the new wineskin of Christ's church. He will build his church. He will strengthen his people. He has loved his church with an everlasting love. And he'll see that his church continues to the very end. And here it's significant as he speaks of his church that he refers to it in a possessive sense. He says, it is my church. We are his people. God promised Jesus that he would be given a people of his own possession. Back in Psalm 2, he says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. That is exactly what God has done is... A people have been gathered to Jesus Christ. A people of his own possession. Psalm 110. A people who would be willing in the day of his power. This is the day of our Savior's power, who is now risen and exalted at the Father's right hand. For he is the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus wants us to know here, that his church will prevail. This is something we need to remember, especially in the day in which we live. A day in which it seems as though the church and the message of Jesus Christ may be more of of a small thing. A day in which there is more an increasing famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Christ promises that he will preserve his church, that he will see to it that his church will advance, that it will endure to the end. It will endure to the end because his church is not a mere work of human effort. It's something that he has inaugurated. He is the eternal king. He will fulfill his promise to his people. There is a, a mystery here. For as we look at the church today, Christians are often misunderstood. In some places they are maligned. In places throughout the world they face persecution and endure martyrdom for the sake of Jesus Christ. The church might appear marginalized. It may seem insignificant and small. It may be a weak But the Lord Jesus says he is at work. He is at work building his church, advancing his righteous and his glorious kingdom. Think of the church in China. In 1949, it was estimated that there were about 700,000 believers in China. And the estimates today is that at least 21 million believers. Some project as many as 38 to 40 million believers, with churches numbering 50, about 55,000 believing churches. See, Christ is the one who is building his church. He is advancing his cause. He even promises here that the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, as it is in some translations, as you see in your footnote, footnote C on verse 18, that the gates of hell will not overcome or be prevailing against the church of Jesus Christ. gates stand as a symbol for, for security. They are defensive weapons like a city's gate to protect them against attack. And here, this reference to Hades uh, speaks uh, of uh, of death itself, the representation of the height of all all evil, the powers of evil represented in, in death. But our Lord Jesus is the one who has triumphed over death and over the grave. He is a risen Savior. It was Paul says in that great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So hell's defenses or its gates will not be able to prevail against the advancement of the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel of his grace and his truth. For his light shines in darkness and brings people to life in Jesus Christ and to spiritual resurrection and a newness of life. And hell is not able to thwart the advance of the gospel Of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus is building his church, even at the very gates of hell. I love the description where Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. And on one of the occasions, the disciples come back and they report how many received the message of Jesus Christ by faith, by repentance. And, And our Savior says, that he saw Satan falling like lightning. Christ is triumphant. His gospel is spreading. And Jesus reminds us here that his church is unstoppable. Satan cannot corral Jesus' efforts. Nothing can silence or overpower the witness of his community. Not even the power. Of death. Jesus says, My church will remain. It will go on. And so this passage leaves us with a spirit of confidence in Him. Indeed, we may live in very difficult times with an increasing growth and opposition to our Lord Jesus Christ. But we as His people must keep our eye upon Him. We must remind ourselves of this gospel truth that he is at work, that his arm is not short. We are called to live by faith, by trust in his word and his promises. And he is at work even among you as a congregation. He has promised as you are faithful to him to support you, to encourage you to help the gospel, his message of life and salvation to be advanced in your own community. Now, certainly, his promise here does not mean that his church at times will not face difficulties. Or we it's not a promise that we'll be spared roadblocks or never face reverses in our lives. But instead, it's that glorious reminder reminder that ultimately and finally Jesus and his church are triumphant. We're reminded here that Jesus is the one who is building his church, which is the main point of this passage. But there are two others I'd like to to mention. The second is Christ builds his church upon a clear confession. The question of Jesus' identity has been present here in Matthew's gospel. What kind of man is this? The disciples marveled when Jesus calmed the storm. Are you the one who is to come? John, the Baptist's disciples, asked Jesus in Matthew 11. Could this be the son of David? The people ask in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus brings restoration to a demon-possessed man, blind and mute. Well, here Jesus asks his disciples two questions. The first is found in verse 13. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? The disciples for these two years of Jesus' ministry would have heard what others said, their speculations, their thoughts, their theories about the identity of Jesus Christ. Some saw him as the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, who has come back. Certainly Herod, who, was, who had guilt over John's death, was fearful of this very thing. Others thought that he was a prophet returned from the dead, a prophet Elijah, and that many of Jesus' miracles were more Elijah-like in their nature. Some thought Jeremiah, a prophet who was believed to return, or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asks a second question. What about you? Who do you, and he speaks emphatically there, say I am? Perhaps the most important question we can be asked Most important question for us to answer, who is Jesus Christ, his identity, his origin, his work? And here it's striking, Jesus doesn't ask them, who do you think I am? He doesn't ask them, who do you believe I am? But he asks them, who do you say I am? Who are you willing to? What are you willing to say about who I am to others? And Jesus addressed all of his disciples gathered there. But Peter, on behalf of the whole group, took it upon himself and he answered, verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had When he stepped out of the boat earlier, he had a wavering faith. But now he steps out with a more steady and confident faith of trusting in Jesus Christ and his unique relationship with the Father, who is one who is equal with the Father in power and in glory. Here he speaks of Jesus as that promised Messiah, the anointed one. The name Christ is not the last name to the first name Jesus. Instead, it's a title from the Old Testament that speaks of the Messiah, the anointed one, the one promised who would live on the throne of David, the one who would redeem God's people, the one who would crush the seed of the serpent. And Peter here identifies Jesus as no, just not as a mere man, but as one who is divine, the son of the living God. Just as Jesus at his baptism, it was declared, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. And the same with his temptation. Uh, A reminder that he is the one who has come from the Father, that he shares a unique relationship with uh, the Father, that he is the one who is the promised successor on the throne of David. Jesus acknowledges that Peter made this profession upon divine revelation it is the turning point in the whole gospel of Matthew and it's this question that we are left with today who do you profess Jesus to be who do you say that he is and thirdly in this passage we learn that Christ builds his church through his people. Jesus tells Peter in verse 18, I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There, a lot of ink has been spilt over what this actually means. Whether the rock is that of the Father, or that of Christ himself, or is it Jesus' teaching? Is it the confession of those who place their faith in him? Or is it Peter himself? In my own reading of this text is that it is Peter who is the rock here, but not in the sense that he was a pope. Uh, not in the sense that he uh, that there would be others who would succeed him, but instead he was the first to make this confession, and along with the other apostles who agreed with Peter. Uh, he the Lord would use them in establishing his church, as Peter was the first to proclaim on that great day of Pentecost, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord speaks to Peter, I say to you, and he uses the singular, he plays on Peter's name, uh, rock, which is his name, Peter, that he will build upon his church, upon Uh, Peter. He says a very similar thing, not just to Peter, but to all of his disciples later in Matthew and in the Gospel of John. During the children's sermon, we were reminded about keys, the keys of the kingdom that Jesus says he gives. Keys are things which open doors and lock, open and close doors. Uh, They loose and bind doors. And here, the keys of the kingdom are understood to be the message of the gospel itself, the proclamation of the truth of Jesus Christ as those he raises up proclaim the truth and as each of us make the gospel known to others. It isn't that these apostles would proclaim the gospel and that it would bind heaven. Instead, as the gospel is proclaimed, when people receive it, there is the promise of life and of heaven. But where there is a resistance, where there is a rejection of our Savior and of the gospel that he brings, uh, the door to heaven remains shut. And here is a, a great reminder of the importance of making the Savior known to others. Christ is the one building his church, but he has chosen to build his church through his people. We find this in the early church, and we find it today. If you know the Lord Jesus, he has placed you in his family. He's put you in this congregation. Or perhaps where you study as a student or where you work, where you serve in the PTA or in a bridge club. He's placed you in your homes and neighborhoods that you might be his witness, that you might be the light of his gospel to others. What a great incentive here. Christ is the one who is building his church May we be those who have a clear confession, acknowledging that he is the Christ, the one who is the true son of the living God. May, by his grace, may we be those he uses, that he might use you here, your officers, elders and deacons, and Sunday school teachers, but even the youth of this congregation, that you might speak, the greatness, the great love of Jesus Christ and the hope of his gospel. Well, let's give thanks to God for his word and its truth. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the God of life and of resurrection. We thank you for our Savior who is building and advancing his church. We pray that we might be those who clearly confess him that we might speak of him to others, the glorious truth that he is the eternal, the living son, the anointed, promised one to provide salvation through his righteous work on the cross, and that you might build your church here at Clover. This we pray in Christ's name and for his sake and his glory. Amen.